0: Thank you to our worship team. Thank you all as you're seated. Uh, If you would, take your Bible or take a Bible from the back, and you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to be reading verses 25 through 33, uh, tying to the series uh, that we've been on over the last couple weeks, Money, Sex, and Marriage. Uh, today's message is is on marriage but before I get into it uh, let me say this about uh, uh, two years ago I had the honor of uh, of meeting and getting to know uh, someone who I'd heard uh, a lot about over the years uh, of being here in Jackson uh, heard some some great stories of uh, of his ministry maturity leadership uh, heard some crazy stories about his past too and uh, His name is Kevin Shoemaker. And over the last two years, he's become uh, much more than a friend in ministry. Uh, He's become a brother. You know, I love you, bro. uh, bro. And just really thankful for his leadership uh, in this state. Uh, We are partners as well in Acts 29. Y'all have heard about that network that this church is part of. And his church, uh, which is uh, Redeemer Church Starkville, uh, which which is interesting. I mean, we need churches everywhere, right? I mean, I but he feels as a, as a rebel too, uh, my, you know, that showing great love. I mean, Christ like love. Uh, but he he is a great dude. Uh, love the guy, his wife Missy here, their family. So really, just thankful that y'all can be here and experience Bellwether Community Church. But enough from me. I want y'all to hear from him. I would ask you after the service, please, uh, you know, greet him, thank him for taking this time. Uh, to come, I, I really wanted him to share with y'all, and uh, he's going to share on marriage and as husbands. So, Ephesians five verses uh, twenty-five through thirty-three, uh, he's asked me to uh, to read for him, and then I'll say a little prayer for him, and then we'll get into uh, the word God's put on his heart. So, verse twenty-five in Ephesians five, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy. Cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for uh, brothers and sisters in in Christ, and I thank you for brothers and sisters, partners in ministry. So just thankful for Kevin, Missy, their family, getting to know them over the last couple years. Thank you for his leadership, uh, his Um, his growth in ministry, his growth of his church, and uh, just relationships and connections with other churches. Thank you for the word that you've put on his heart today. I know that uh, you will speak to us through it, and he will speak to us through you. And so thankful for that. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thanks, John Hugh. Uh, Yeah, and it's true. Uh, I am a uh, rebel living in Uh, (laughs) Starkville. We were we were coming into town the other day, and uh, it's gonna be loud. Sorry, uh, we, we were coming in town the other day, and I was just telling the kids, I was like, y'all don't know how crazy it is we live in storm. I mean, I grew up in Jackson, Ole Miss fan all my life. Uh, never thought I would live there. Uh, you know, when you're growing up in Jackson, it's such a divided city with Ole Miss and State. The rivalry's real thick. And uh, But anyway, it's funny, uh, the Lord's providence and maybe the Lord's humor, uh, it's one of my favorite places on the planet, if not my favorite place on the planet now. So anyway, but it's good to be here in Jackson. Jackson is, uh, even though it hasn't been my home in some ways for the last 20 years, it's always going to be home. You know, the place where you grow up, my mom's here, my brother and his family are here, and so it always feels like home uh, I'm always looking for an excuse to get here. And so it's, it's great to be with you all. I've heard of you guys. Uh, Bellwether Church from your first days. And like John Hugh was saying, it's been great getting to know him. Like I said, I've, I've known of John Hugh for, for quite a time, too. The last two years, we've been able to become just uh, great friends and buddies. Um, so, anyway, it's great to be here. And I'm excited to be uh, a part of this series y'all are going through on uh, money, sex, and marriage. And, uh, and and luckily, I ended up on, on marriage. I feel like that's maybe the easiest one to talk on. And when we, when we were talking about the text and all that, and I was like, well, man, you know, I could teach on Ephesians 5. Have you done that? And, and actually, he has, I think, a few weeks ago. Uh, but as we started to talk about the text, there's really like five sermons in here and so, actually, I went back and listened to the sermon. It was a great sermon. The part that stuck out to me was the part about how there can be friction in marriage and, like, with oil is used to kind of, you know, help that friction out the Holy Spirit. Anyway, Miss and I talked about it. it was a great sermon. But as I listened to it, I was like, you know, I feel like I'm going to approach it from a different angle. And so I don't think it's going to be too redundant. If it is, I'm sorry. It can't be too bad to hear two talks on the same text. But I think I'm going to be approaching it from a different angle. Uh, so anyway, I'll, I'll transition into Ephesians 5. But as I do that, um, uh, I want to share about a season in my life. Uh, it was when I, I'd moved, I'd graduated from Ole Miss. I was living, I went on staff with Cambridge Crusade for Christ with crew. Uh, I was at Florida State. I was there for four years. Uh, and, and my first year kind of, kind of living away, it was the first time I was ever away. Cause, you know, I, like, like many of y'all who maybe grew up in Jackson, you, know, you go to college with a group of friends, and then you, maybe you come back, and you always have the same crowd around you. Well, when I moved to Tallahassee, it was just kind of me, Um, and it was my first time to ever be kind of on my own in the sense of, like, I don't have a big group of friends already with me, and and the group that I'm hanging out with is is a new group. It's a group I hadn't hung out with before, and so anyway, during that season, you might say it was a vulnerable season, uh, I got involved in something that that I'm not all that proud of and that some of you might think is odd. I don't know if I've ever shared it in a group uh, this size before. Um, but what that thing was during this unique and vulnerable season was salsa dancing. <laughs> so, so, so there was this group, and they would go out, and so they would go out to do salsa dancing. And so, uh, so we would go and do that, and then there was one night where this group, the, the place where we'd always go, they were going to do lessons. And I was like, well, I, I could probably use some lessons, so I went. Uh, and it was interesting with this salsa dancer uh, instructor She kind of took the guys to the the side and says, look, there's two things that y'all need to get about salsa dancing. Number one, the guy leads. The guy always needs to lead. And number two, it's about showing off the girl. It's not about you. Your job in salsa dancing is to make her look good. Now, what might seem like a reach here, I think Paul's saying something similar in Ephesians 5. Okay, but, but, but here's what I mean about this, is that the man is the leader, all right? The man is the leader, but his leadership isn't just about him. It's, it's about the wife. It's about making her look good. And, and that's what I want to talk about today. And, if, if, and the title of this sermon is this, it's Her Glory for His Joy. And, the main, and I think that's the main idea of this, of this text we just looked at, And it's going to be my two points, her glory for his joy. So that's where I want to spend most of my time talking about those two things, her glory for his joy. So first, let me talk about her glory. And I want to be clear about the connection that Paul is making with marriage here uh, and the relationship that he, when he's talking about marriage, he's speaking of it in the context of Jesus and the church. And, and if you look at the text there, in verse 32, chapter 5, verse 32, it says, This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So the, the main part of the Bible that addresses marriage is Ephesians 5. I mean, there's a lot of things about marriage throughout the Bible, of course, but this is the main spot in the Bible that we're talking about marriage. And, if, and when Paul's talking about marriage, he's saying, Hey, you've got to understand it in, 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 the, in the context of Jesus and the church. And you might notice before that in five twenty-two to 24, Paul addresses the wives. and he, The main emphasis is on submission. And I'm going to let somebody else tackle that. That will be John He on another day, I think. <laughs> but, but anyway, but, but here's the thing, is that you would think if in 22 to 24 he's talking about submission, that in 25 to 33 when he's talking about the husband, he's going to talk about leadership because you, you, know, you over here submit and you over here lead. But that's not the way he contrasts submission. If you look at it, he contrasts the submission that the wife should submit, but the husband should love. And he actually, he says it three times in verse 25, 28, and 33. Love, 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 love that woman. He doesn't say, he doesn't bang the table and say, lead that woman. He says, love that woman. That's the focus. And that's more the focus than leading. So rather than emphasizing good leadership, he's emphasizing loving well. Because if you're loving well, you're probably going to lead well. And if you're not loving well, you're probably not going to lead well. Because don't you know there's a lot of guys who are great leaders, but they don't love and lead their wife and family well. So it's not just about leadership. You can get a book on leadership and find five ways to lead. If you're going to lead well, the man's going to lead well, he's going to have to love well. And that's the, that's the emphasis that Paul is making here. And so as we look at that, with the emphasis of the husband loving his wife in verse 25 to 33, that leads us, I think, to two questions. One is this, how should a husband love his wife? And the second is, what is the goal of a husband loving his wife? What's he aiming for in loving his wife? And you need to notice in verse 25 to 27 that the focus for what marriage should be like centers on Jesus and his church. So if we're asking the question, how should a husband love his wife, we need to first ask, how has Jesus loved his church? Now, in verse 25 to 26, we read that Jesus loved his church, gave himself up for her, to sanctify her, to cleanse her by the washing of water with the word. (laughs) What does that mean? So, hey, so how should I love my wife? Oh, like washing her with water in the word. It seems like it makes no sense, but it makes a lot of sense as you begin to unfold it. So let's try to figure out what this means. So Jesus gave himself up for her good. So he sacrificed himself for her good, and he cleansed her with water in the Word. And when he says he cleansed her, I understand that to be speaking of justification, the gospel, the way that Jesus lived the perfect life, died the perfect death, so that his, so that his bride, the church, could be saved. So that cleansing her has to do with justification And it refers to water like baptism, like the cleansing of that person. And sanctification means becoming more and more like Jesus, and that's done through the Word of God. So the church is made clean, justified by the gospel, the work of Jesus, and that's symbolized with the water. And then the church is sanctified, becomes more like Jesus through the Word of God. And that's that's the washing of water and the Word. So Jesus gave himself up for the church, so that she, she could be set apart. And to put it another way, Jesus gave himself up for the church so that she could be holy. Now, now that, that part about being holy might not be too appealing, but hang on, I think it will be appealing once you understand what holiness looks like. So why did Jesus give himself up to make the church holy? What was the goal that Jesus had in mind in giving, him, giving himself up for her? And what will help us to answer that question is understanding what his goal with the goal. Uh, this will help us to understand the question: What is the goal of the husband loving his wife? What is he aiming for? Because whatever Jesus was aiming for in loving his wife, the bride, his bride, the church, is what the husband should aim for in loving his wife. And we get a good, a got, a good we get a good idea of what he's aiming for in verse twenty-seven. So so look in verse 27, and and the translation that I use is the ESV, the English Standard Standard Version. You might have a different one, but it's okay. It's going to all kind of come together. But in verse 27, we read, So that, that's how it begins. That's how my version begins. Others might start in a different way, but in the Greek, that, that phrase, so that, can be translated in order that. What that means is, like, this is the reason why Jesus is doing what he's doing. So in verse 27 we're getting, Paul is giving the reason, the goal that Jesus had in mind in giving himself up for the church. So let's look at it together. In verse 27, we read, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, I want you to notice something there in verse 27. So that he might present the church to who? Look at it. To himself. And how does he describe the church? In splendor. Other verses might say radiant or glorious or in all her glory. And that is what Jesus is doing with the church, with the people of God. He's taking a messed up, quirky, broken, sinful people like us and through the work of Jesus is making us into something glorious. And one day, believe it or not, we will be presented before the Lord in great splendor. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus is doing. And, and, and this idea of being presented before the Lord in great splendor, this is what theologians call glorification. There's, there's three phases to salvation. You might have heard this before. Justification, being made right with God. Sanctification, being made more and more like Christ. And glorification is where we are glorified. Now, this might be new to some of you. It was it was I was kind of late to the game with this idea of glorification and, and what it is. But but if we are to understand what, what Paul is talking about here with marriage, we need to understand glorification. Because one day we will be glorified. We're not just what, what the gospel does, what the work of Jesus does, it doesn't just let us off the hook for our sins. It also tells us that one day we will be glorified. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, Paul writes that Jesus will, when he returns, he will transform our lowly bodies to become like his glorious body. That means your body is going to be radically different. It's going to be glorious. And I'm sure there's going to be some measure of continuity where you will still be you and maybe recognizable to you with others and all that. I'm not real sure how it works. I think there's going to be continuity, but one thing for sure is you will be glorious. that's what the God you're not just getting saved from hell. He's going to make you a glorious splendor. But who will be but, but, but who we will be is an almost unimaginable version of who we are now. For example, how do you imagine Jesus to look like now? Like, what do you imagine him to look like now? I mean, does he look like like that now? like, like he might have looked? during his earthly ministry. Have you ever thought about this? What does Jesus look like now? What color is his hair? What do his eyes look like? And you might imagine Jesus to look now basically how he probably looked when he was, he was on earth, doing his earthly ministry. But I don't think the scriptures teach us that Jesus looks the same now in glory as he did during his earthly ministry. Go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 1. And I want to look at this picture of Jesus that we have, of Jesus in his glorified state. So go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 1, and I'm going to read verse 12 through 16. Uh, as many of you probably know, uh, the apostle John wrote Revelation, uh, and, uh, and in this first chapter, he sees Jesus, and he sees Jesus in glory. And I'm going to read about it in chapter 1, verse 12 through 16. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstand, one like the Son of Man. There's Jesus, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And here we go. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. That is Jesus in his glorified state. That is not how he looked during his earthly ministry. He looks different than he looked in his earthly ministry. He's glorified. His hair is white like snow. His eyes are like a flame of fire. Fire is mesmerizing, and we're using the term like. So, so John is trying to give an image, and so I'm thinking it's, it's not snow, it's like snow. It's like fire, not fire, maybe like fire. And to me, fire is mesmerizing. Uh, to, to my family's uh, disappointment, I like to grill out just about every weekend. Uh, and, and, and when I do, I, I love it when it starts to get a little bit cool outside, and there's kind of the warm the warmness of the charcoals, and when it's that white, hot, and there's just kind of like that glow of a flame, not on fire, it's just kind of this glowing, hot, beautiful fire. And, and it, it captures me. I find myself just looking at it. And every now and then I'll, I'll get the family to come out and look at it, and they say, great, just like last week. But, but to me, it's mesmerizing. And, and that's just a little bit of a shadow of our Savior's eyes in glory. And look, if it sounds spooky and weird, then you need to rearrange that because it's it's something that's glorious and we don't have a category. That's why John would say it's, it's like fire. I'd imagine there's not anything he can say. It's just exactly like this. It's something that we don't have a category for. And it says his face is shining like the sun in full strength. And how do you think you would respond? If you saw Jesus like this in his glorified state, how do you think you would respond? Like if he appeared right now in this state, How do you think you would respond if you saw him? Well, we don't have to wonder how John would respond because it's in the text. Look at verse 17. John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And so I believe if you or I were to see Jesus in his glory, our knees would buckle and we would fall down as if we were dead. We would be overwhelmed with the glory that we would see in Jesus. Now, Philippians 3.21, He will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body. You will be made like Jesus in glory. That means if I could see you now as you will be then, my knees would buckle because I would be overwhelmed with your glory. Glory. That's what God is doing in this, and this is what Jesus is doing with his church. God is going to give his son a bride, the church, and that church is going to be like Jesus, like Jesus in glory. What, God was, what Jesus was doing in, in his life, death, and resurrection wasn't just saving us from our sins, and don't hear me minimize that, but what he was doing, he was raising up a glorious bride, For himself, that would be presented to him one day in splendor. And when God gave Adam, Adam and Eve, when God gave Adam a wife, he gave him somebody like him, but different. And when God the Father gives God the Son a bride, he's going to give him somebody like him, glorious, but different, but still glorious. And that day is much anticipated by Jesus. When he presents the bride, the church to himself... And you, the church, will not be presented to Jesus with the remotest feeling of guilt or shame. No, no, it's going to be delight, like a bridegroom's delight at the presentation of the bride. And, and you might have wondered before, you know, what am I going to feel when I, when I meet Jesus, when I stand before the Lord, when I, when I pass from, from this life to the next? What's my, Have you ever wondered, am I going to be afraid? Am I going to feel shame? Or guilt? Well, I think we get the answer of what the emotion is going to be uh, in the the letter of Jude. Uh, It only has one chapter in it. It's verse 24. It says, we will be presented before his glory. It doesn't say with great guilt, with great shame because all the bad stuff we've done. It says, we will be presented before the glory of God with great joy. Your happiest moment you've had in this life, does not compare with the moment you will be presented before the glory of God. That, all your happiest moments now are only small shadows of the joy you will feel in that moment when you are presented before the glory of God. So we need not worry about that day and feeling scared, shame, or guilt. The emotion we, will, we should expect is joy, the way a bridegroom would receive his bride. So, how does a husband love his wife? He gives himself up, he sacrifices for her glory and for her splendor. It's sacrifice, it's a husband sacrifices and gives himself up for her good and glory. Now, what is the motivation that the husband has in giving himself up for his wife? And giving himself up for her for his wife's glory. What's the motivation? Well, it's his own joy. It's not obligation. It's not he ought to. It's his own joy. That's my second point. The husband's joy. In, in verse 27, we read that Jesus gave himself up for his bride, sanctified her, and cleansed her. And he did this for a particular person. That particular person is in verse 27. Who did Jesus give himself up for to make her, to, to give her a splendor? That particular someone in verse 27. He says, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. He gave himself up so that he could present his wife to himself. And we see this idea again in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, where it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So when Jesus went to the cross, there was, there was a, a motivation that was pushing him to endure the cross. He, he wasn't motivated to, to just suffer for suffering's sake. He, he didn't want to get just the, the, the beatings. He didn't want to get nailed to the to the truth. But there was, there was something that was moving him towards enduring the cross, the shame, and the pain. And the thing that was moving him towards that was joy. But what kind of joy was that? Like, like what... That's not enough. Where's the joy coming from? What's the joy about? It can't just be this random emotion. That joy must be pointing to something. And do you know what that joy was? This is broad. It was the church. It was you. The joy set before him was you. It was you with him in all your glory presented to him. That he might be with you. That where he is, you might be also. Jesus gave himself up for his his wife for his own joy. It's almost like a selfish love because he's doing it for himself. I mean, obviously it's odd to think about going to the cross as being selfish because that's obviously him giving himself up. But the end result was his own joy. He was doing it to present the bride to himself. And and, and Paul kind of continues this idea of, of, of it being something that he's doing for himself. In verse 28, he says, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So in a sense, Jesus gave himself up for the church for his own benefit so that the church, his wife, his bride... Could be presented to him in splendor. Jesus giving himself up up for the church was him loving himself. It brought him the greatest joy. He would have been less happy not going to the cross. Jesus was giving himself up, going to the cross, as an investment into his own joy. Paul continues this line of thinking in verse 29 and 30. He says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So Jesus loving the church, in a sense, is him just loving himself, because she will be presented to him in splendor for his own joy. But but we see another layer to loving yourself and loving the other. In verse 30, we read that we are members of his body. And that the church is a part of the body of Jesus. In verse 31 and 32, we read this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. So the church is the body of Jesus. Jesus is the head and the church is the body, right? And in marriage, the husband is the head and the wife is the body. They're one. The the, the church and Jesus are one, the head, the body. The husband and wife are one, the head, the body. And in Genesis 2, we read about Adam being alone. And, and there's an odd thing that kind of the, the way Genesis 2 flows is a bit odd because throughout chapter 1 and 2, like God's creating everything. and said, this is good, this is good. This is seven times. Like, this, this is good, 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 good. Everything's good. And then the first time, or at one point, he says something's not good. And you know what it is? You know this. He says, it's not good that, that man's alone. And then the follow-up verse is odd. You know what he does? So many times in the Scripture, things seem like they, they don't connect. A lot of times there's a connection we might have to dig a little deeper. So God says, it's not good that the man should, should be alone. And you know what he has him do? Adam, name the animals. <laughs> it's like, what, what, what playbook are you operating from? Where that would be the response of being alone, go name the animals. But he, he, he does, he names the animals. But here's what, what, what God was, was showing there. As he's naming the animals, you know what they're, they're, they're not like? They're not like him. He is alone as the man. And so the reason he did that was to highlight that you are alone. And then after he, he names the animal, God creates Eve. He takes, takes a, a, the, the rib out of Adam's side and he creates Eve for Adam. And do you remember what what Adam says? This at last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. In other words, he says, she's me. She's just like me. My bones, my flesh, that's just like me. And that's how we should think of the union of marriage. When we love the other, we're loving ourselves. When we mistreat the other, we're mistreating ourselves. When the husband cultivates her glory, her thriving, her flourishing, he is cultivating his own joy. He's not just being a good guy. He's not just doing what's obligated. He's hooking himself up, right? I mean, he, he, he's, he, he's not just... So many times we, we can operate as things we're obligated to do, the right Christian thing to do, what we need to do that's kind of a pain and lame and all that. But no, no, no. Husband, when he is sacrificing for his wife's glory, he is cultivating his own joy. Several years ago, uh, two of our children went through a bit of a crisis. Uh, it happened when, when Missy, my wife, wasn't, wasn't at the house, um, and so I had to handle it myself which is always kind of scary, right? So, so we were in the kitchen, and, um, uh, and there, there was two kids with me in the kitchen. I think I've got four kiddos. There was two, two of the older ones. And anyway, they, uh, they asked if they could have a cookie. Sure, go have a cookie. And then the crisis emerged. There's only one cookie. <laughs> who, who gets the cookie? So I walked over. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to split the cookie in half and, and let y'all each get a little bit. And so what I did was I gave the cookie to one, and I said, split this in half evenly. You get one, the other gets, the, gets one. So anyway, it is split in half, right? And, 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 and the best way to describe this half would be like if you imagine like a, like, a, like a whole pizza, and if you were to remove a slice of that pizza, that's like cutting it in half. That's kind of what we're looking at here. But then in a shocking turn of events, I let the other one choose which half they wanted. And so the other one obviously chose the the huge half, and the one who did the dividing got got the small half. And in that moment, there was a mix of outrage and instant guilt. The outrage is, this is unfair. The instant guilt... I did this. This was my doings. And look, in a similar way, when we refuse to give ourselves up for our wives, when we think we're looking out for ourselves, we are really only hurting ourselves. Our greatest reward is in, as men and husband is giving ourselves away for the good and glory of our wives and our greatest pain and shame will be when we neglect them to protect and glorify our own selves. And as husbands, we would do well to take a heart cue from that salsa instructor. We should lead, without doubt, but not lead in a way that's oppressive and controlling. Lead in a way that shows her off, that cultivates her glory, her splendor, her radiance, that helps her to thrive and to flourish. The greatest gift we can give to ourselves as, a, as husbands is a wife who's thriving and flourishing. A good question for husbands to ask is, how can I help you to thrive as a woman? And, and not just as a wife, as a mom, but as a whole person. What do you need? Do you need time alone, time with people? Time, more time with me, less time with me? Like, what, what, what do you need to thrive and flourish as a woman. And may God help us as husbands and as husbands-to-be to give ourselves a way for the good and glory of our wives and in that find deep, deep joy. And may that not come from a place of self-determination, oh, I'm going to be a better husband, but as a meditation on what Jesus has already done for us, because the Spirit of Christ lives in us as believers. And because of that, we have all the power that we need to love our wives as Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her glory and his joy. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, to to back up and think of the gospel, how big and glorious it is. We are grateful that you lived the perfect life, that your righteousness can be credited to us, and that you died a death that uh, would be credited as the punishment for our own sins and that we now live before you without shame or guilt or any fear of your wrath because Jesus has taken that, without any kind of need to make ourselves good enough to be acceptable to you because Jesus has already done that. And as if that wasn't enough, You will glorify us to be as you are now in all your glory. And even that day you anticipate with great joy. The future is glorious for your bride, the church, for us. We are grateful for the gospel. And may that meditation of of, of the truth of the gospel overflow into our marriages. And would you help us as husbands to cultivate the glory of our wives and that they would thrive and flourish, and that we would find deep, deep joy in that. Jesus, we can't do this without you. In spirit, we need your help. And Jesus, in your name that we pray,
0: amen.